Hello and welcome to Helpline on Feed Play Love. We are coming to you via Zoom and uh, Chris's lounge room. Unfortunately, this episode of Helpline was unable to go live on Facebook, so we are getting our questions from our email helpline, which is helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. You can send your questions into that email whenever you like, and we will answer them preferably live. We will try to go live next week on Monday at 11.30 Eastern Standard Time. Um, But this one is just from the email questions. Apologies, we couldn't go live on Facebook, but we are still answering your questions. Chris is still here waiting to help you. Chris Minogue, how are you? I'm really well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm surviving. The kids are back at school this week, so I'm very excited. <laughs> it's a good day. It's only it's only one day a week, but one day is better than no days, Chris. That's right. Let's start with an email from Dana. She says, I have a two-month-old boy who suffers from indigestion, causing him to be constantly unsettled. He breastfeeds well, confirmed by a lactation consultant, settles to sleep easily and is gaining weight normally. The paediatrician has confirmed that he is healthy. However, his feeds and sleeps are constantly interrupted by his indigestion, be it a poo, a fart, regurgitation, hiccups or gurgling tummy. It is clear that he's in pain or discomfort. For example, he will sputter, cry and choke whilst trying to feed, wake crying from a deep sleep or arch his back and clench his fists. As soon as the indigestion passes, he is settled again. When he isn't passing anything, he is calm and feeds and sleeps excellently. We have tried uh, Biogea. Biogea. Biogea, infant's friend, massage, abdominal exercises and kangaroo feeding all to no avail. Needless to say, we are all exhausted. We are wondering how long this generally lasts and if there is anything else we can try to give our little one some relief and in doing so regain some of our sleep. Okay, so Dana, it does sound like he, what you're describing is indigestion, we'd probably describe as a mild reflux. And lots of little babies have this when they're quite young and they're a little bit more immature, so they get a little bit of regurgitation of the feed that can make them a bit more unsettled. So most babies do improve after the nine-week mark. So I'd hang out and see if it got better because it sounds like you've tried everything to make him as comfortable as you can. But if it hasn't improved when he's about 10 weeks and he's still getting quite a lot of it, um, then it's probably worth having another discussion with your GP and seeing if she could reassess it and see how much pain he's in. And when I discuss this with my clients, I often get them to video the baby when they're in discomfort so that Obviously, when you go to a GP, the baby sits there with a big smile on its face so that she can get a bit of an idea of what you might be going through and just re-look at it and reassess what might be going on. But it should improve in the next week or so. So hopefully you'll see that improvement and things will settle down. You'll be more comfortable. Um, otherwise, I think it's, it's worth having a little chat to your GP about it. Okay, good luck with that, Dana. We have an email from Nicola. She says, I'm at my wits end with my almost four-year-old's eating. I fear some <laughs> I fear some of what I'm experiencing with him has been exaggerated by some of the strategies I tried to adopt early on, but he has always been a fussy eater. Uh, I feel the frustration now more than ever being at home 24-7, 
preparing every meal for him and his younger sister, who often misses out on the good stuff. She would probably eat, but for convenience sake, I make them the same old safe options. As a baby, he took much longer than his peers to adopt lumpy food. I found myself pureeing for much longer than other mums in my mum's group. I was hyper aware of the advice to not force food on babies, toddlers, but I feel I may have made too much of an allowance to the point where he calls the shots on what he eats. This is within reason as I'm a healthy eater myself. So I restrict a lot of sugary foods and limit treats to one per day, one scoop of ice cream or a couple of gummy lollies or a small piece of chocolate cake, etc. He often tells me what he wants for snacks or dinner, but they are the same dishes on rotation. Nuggets with tin spaghetti, tuna pasta, veggie sausages with mash or bread, fish fingers, mini frozen quiches. I go through phases of getting creative and trying something new for him and usually find he won't even take a bite. He hates sauce, tomato or creamy cheese on pasta, or usual kid favourites such as mac and cheese, spag bowl or lasagna, or any vegetable except potato, and at a push, raw carrots. He has a lot of mixed berries every morning after breakfast, likes avocado and has a multivitamin each day as I worry about his nutrition. My main concern is how to strike the balance between not force-feeding, we keep falling into the trap of just a few more bites and you can have dessert, but getting him to eat a more healthy and varied diet. Should I just write it out and not worry or should I be doing something differently? Look, I think there's lots of mums out there with with children of this age that can empathise and sympathise. And I think as a mum, you're probably trying to work out, is there a problem here with maybe texture, which is a common one. So when you change up textures, or is this just a bit of, what he sees is what he knows and so he doesn't engage in things that are new and I think loads of children do this and it's how we play the game with them so if he if he does have some sort of textual um sort of immaturity so for instance my nephew only ate white things till he was about 10 and it was very distinctly white things and that is a particular way of eating But for most children, it's just what they're comfortable with is what they want. And they have an amazing skill to drag that out of you. So the things that we would probably suggest you doing is only introducing new foods slowly. So having an element of it on the plate um, and, and not forcing it on him. Also have a lot more, if you can, and in COVID time, you might be able to have a lot more meals together and put the meal in the middle of the table. So say you were going to have, I don't know, spaghetti bolognese, you'd put the bolognese and the pasta, and you actually ask him, what would you like? You might even have a salad with things that you know he will eat, and let him dish it out, even if it's only one carrot and one lettuce leaf. Let him dish it out. So make them part of the meal, and slowly introduce the foods that you're trying to get him to eat. But to introduce them, you need to sit down as a family and eat them, not just hand him a plate and say, here's, you know, mac and cheese. And he just doesn't engage with it because it doesn't look like what he wants. So I think that the question here is, is that just normal behaviour? And now you're at home with him. Let's see if we can introduce more foods, get him involved, talk to him about it, make him part of making the meal and everybody sitting down to the same meal. And if he doesn't eat it, he doesn't eat it. So don't try not to use um, bribery and corruption because it gets you nowhere. He just gets the ice cream. 
So I would just not engage him. I'm a big believer in not engaging. Put the food down. If they're hungry, they'll eat it. If they're not, they'll be fine. They'll get food as they need food. But you do have to also make sure that there may not be something else going on for him because he was late to start solids and he didn't move through textures very well. So have a go while you're at home of introducing new, meal, new foods um, slowly, introducing them together and introducing them in the table where he can choose. If you don't get a lot of success with that, then maybe talking to, you know, a speech pathologist that deals with textures might just help him engage in different feed, in different meals. I know what I wish I'd done was have more boundaries around mealtime. So do what you've said, but also get them to a point where they understood this is here. I have provided. You can eat what I've provided. And if you choose not to eat, that's okay, but you won't get anything till breakfast. I... Um I went to a great conference from a speech pathologist in Sydney and her, her, her suggestion was, as parents, we provide meals. We don't make the meat. We yeah. only have to provide the meal. That's it. That's our job done. What they do with the meal is purely up to them. But I think we get roped into it in an emotional state that says our child needs to eat and yet, you know, they eat a lot when you write it all down. They eat an awful lot. But yeah, but you only learn that after you've had a few children, not to not to uh, play the game, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've been played. I've totally been played. Well, I hope it works out better for you than it did for me, Nicola. <laughs> uh, this is an email from Helena. She says, I need help with my 18-month-old night sleeping. Every so often out of the blue, he will have a few terrible nights where he's on and off awake and crying for three to four hours in the night, usually starting between 11.30pm to 1am and can last until 4am. He's usually sleepy in this time and trying to go back to sleep, but the second I leave the room, he stands up in his cot and screams again. Each time I go in, I lie him back down in his cot, give him his dummy, pat him till he's still calm and sleepy, and then I creep out. Sometimes I even just try to rest on the floor next to the cot and shush him when he starts to stir. So he knows I'm still there because I'm so exhausted and I don't get back to sleep in bed anyway before he screams again. My husband has gone in a few times when I've had enough after three hours and mostly there's been no difference. He still stands up and cries when he leaves the room after a long settle time. It just gives me a brief nap before I'm back in his room doing it all again. I don't think leaving him to cry without going in at all does any good. He works himself up so much that it takes 20 minutes to calm him down to sleepy again. He's so inconsistent. I never know whether I'm in for three hours sleep myself or eight as he will go a week or two of sleeping through till 6.45am, no problems, and then randomly hits me with a couple of disaster nights. He has one good nap a day, usually from 12 to 2, and then goes back down around 7.15pm for the night. He has one milk bottle a day before bed and eats all meals very well. Up until now, I think I've assumed it's teething and would put Bonjella on and give him Panadol, but he has all four molars up and all four canines have finally properly cut through, so it can't be teething anymore. I'm at my wits end, and now that I have the added stress of being in isolation with two little kids and trying to work from home, it's all too much. Please help. Gee, that sounds like you can get very overwhelmed very quickly. But I think here, this little fellow is just relying on you being in the room and he's not going to sleep when you put him to sleep. He's just laying there. 
And as soon as you make that ninja type movement to get out of the room, he's really aware of it. So I understand that you said, you know, there's no use letting him cry because he gets himself worked up. But what I think you should do in this case is not let him cry for 20 minutes so that you can't get him to calm down. But he needs some time to try and get himself to sleep. And he needs some reassurance for you across that period of time. And I think the hard thing here is he's not doing it every night. So you don't know what night he's going to do it or not do it. Um, I personally find fathers going in far more effective. Um, they're much better at just doing the job and not thinking too much about what might be going on for them. And that's an added blessing in getting them to settle. So personally, what I would do is I would leave him for a couple of minutes. I would go in, I would lay him down, I'd tell him it's time to sleep and then I'd walk back out again. Then I'd give him another few minutes and I am probably talking about a few minutes because I don't think he's putting himself to sleep. So on a night where he naturally wakes a few more times within that night, he doesn't know how to go back to sleep and he's as tired as you are. So I think this is just picking a time frame and sitting down with your partner and agreeing on the method that you're going to use and being consistent. But if you sit there and pat him till he's calm and sleepy, I don't think he's going to sleep. So when you make a movement, he's waking back up again because he's not going to sleep. So if we can, if we can get him to try and put himself to sleep with just little moments of coming in and giving him comfort and then walking out, I think you're going to have more success long-term. So I don't mean a full control crime, leave him till he puts himself to sleep, but I don't mean standing there and putting him to sleep either. So if you can find a halfway point that allows him to settle, I think you're going to get more success in consecutive nights. Yeah. Gosh, that's tough, isn't it, when you're working from home? It's such a juggle to working from home, to kiddies. I reckon that age group must be the hardest too, don't you think, having a baby and a toddler? Yeah, having a baby and a toddler or a toddler and a three-year-old, you know, that range where you have two under three, it's not easy because they're physically in different places and they're mentally in different places. So you get dragged on every front as opposed to like your age group where you've got two older children, they're both mentally draining. Physically, <laughs> physically you don't have to, you know, do as much for them. That's and right. they've got rational powers. It, it's tough in that early years. But I think consistency will win out on this one. I think it's probably overtiredness from everyone that complicates it. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully, Helena, it does get better. I am wishing you all the sleeping angels over at your house. Yeah. Our next question actually comes from our helpline group. It's a good opportunity to mention that we have a helpline group on Facebook where you can pop your questions as well. This one comes from Beck. She says, hi, we have a four-year-old daughter and twin boys who will turn one next week. The boys are currently in our room and we live in a two-bedroom house. We want to move them into our daughter's room. She is excited to share, but needs some help on how to manage bedtime for all three. The boys usually go to bed at 6.30, currently fed to sleep with a bottle, but happy to change this. And then our daughter goes to bed at 7 and falls asleep on her own, listening to stories on a kid's radio station. We aren't sure how to manage their different needs in the same room and would love some help. Okay, so what we do in this case is you've got the right idea. We need to put the boys down first and then put the four-year-old down 
half an hour, at least a half an hour later. The problem is listening to the stories. So what I would do in this case is, I mean, the boys are good for going down at 6.30. That's really early, but probably works to your advantage. And a four-year-old going down at seven. So I think while you can get away with that, normally a one-year-old would go down around seven or quarter past seven, and a four-year-old would go down between 7.30 and eight. But either way, you need a good half an hour of the twins being asleep, soundly asleep, before you take the four-year-old in the room, but she won't be able to have the stories on. So we need to find another space where she could maybe do that half an hour or 20 minutes of listening to the story before she goes to bed. So I'd put the twins into the room at 6.30 and maybe at quarter to seven, I would set your daughter up with her listening to her story, but somewhere else, maybe on your bed, um, maybe in a quiet place in the lounge room where she's listening to the stories. And then after the boys have been asleep for a good half an hour, then she needs to go in quietly and hop into bed. You give her a kiss and a cuddle and, you, get, you know, you leave the room. So I think it's a very doable thing. If you can fit, if you can fit three beds in that one room, which is quite a treat on itself, um, I think it's a very doable thing. Um, but you have to have that half an hour leeway in between and she won't be able to listen to the stories in there. When she goes in, just to go in and go to sleep, otherwise she'll wake them up. This one comes from Mandy, also on the helpline group. She says, Hi Siobhan and Chris, really hope you can help me today. My 20-month-old girl has been waking every hour on the hour from 3am for the last week and then awake for the day by 6am. Normally, she is an angel child that sleeps till 6.30 on weekdays and 7am on weekends. Her routine, routine hasn't, hasn't changed. 7pm bedtime, bedtime, she, she still, still settles, settles without, without any trouble. trouble. Her day nap when at home is at 11.30am and she, and she gladly sleeps till 2, 2.30pm. When at daycare, she goes down 11.30 to 12 and usually sleeps for an hour. When resettling at night, I leave her until she gets very loud. Then I go in, lie her down with her bunny and leave. She doesn't fuss or cry out again. She does fall asleep again, but almost on the dot of the hour, she cries out again. And I repeat the same process until she's wide awake and bouncing off the walls to get out of her cot at 5.55 a.m. Really hope I've included all the information you need. I think she's just getting too much sleep in the day for a 20-month-old. Okay. And so when she wakes up at night, on the occasions where she does wake up at night, she's got the energy to stay awake. So I would have a 20-month-old going down at 12.30 and getting up around, so around 2 and going to bed at 7.30. So to modify what she's doing at 11.30, maybe we could just grade her out to 12 o'clock. She could sleep till 2 and then put it down at about 7.30 and see if that helps. And if that doesn't help, then reduce her day sleep down to an hour and a half, either 12 to 1.30 and going down at 7 or 12.30 to 2 and going down at 7.30. I think this is a simple one of regulating her day so she gets roughly the same amount in the day but less and then her nights will consistently go through. This one's from Bonnie. She says, when should I transition my toddler from a cot to a bed? 
How do I know he's ready? My boy is two years and three months old. He sleeps in a sleeping bag, so he can't climb out of his cot. But I'm sure he would if he could. He's he's full-time at childcare and sleeps on the floor there for day naps. Hubby and I are just wanting to know what are the signs he's ready to transition. Well, some signs um, is that they are climbing out of the cot, but mainly about a maturity. He has to have the cognitive development and understand staying in bed. Uh, The problem is that daycare is the reason that they stay on those little cot mats when they're young is because someone's in the room making sure they stay on there. It's not because naturally they would stay on it. So in this case, uh, when he's two and three months, it's certainly something I'm planning and thinking about. But what I would do is get him through the winter in his cot, in his sleeping bag, so he's nice and warm. And then in the summer or in the spring, when he's about two and a half, I think he'll have a greater success at putting him in a bed just because it'll be cooler as the weather gets warmer. And at about two and a half, they look too big for a cot. Like they physically look like you're putting a toddler, I mean, a, a child into the cot. So I think any, any stage around that two and a half year mark is generally when you can do it and it doesn't have any complications. He's got the cognitive understanding to listen to what you're saying about staying in your bed and call mummy if you need me. You mimic the same behaviour, but you take his sleeping bag off. And I think in the spring, he'll, he'll want that off because it'll be too hot and he'll naturally go into a bed. And so I think if you're hanging after winter, then you'll have a nice little smooth transition into a big boy's bed. This question comes from Jodie. She says, my son is three and in a single bed, sharing a room with his baby brother as we're in a two-bedroom unit. Every morning when he wakes up, he yells out, mum, or just grunts loudly, causing me to jump out of bed and run down the hall before he wakes his baby brother. He is completely capable and has no issues getting in and out of bed and can open the door himself. He just doesn't want to get out of bed on his own. How can I stop him yelling to get out of bed? Well, I mean, for his age, I would expect him to get out of bed and make noise and not really understand, you know, don't wake your baby brother up. I think that's a lot for a little person to not do. So in this case, I think the only thing you can do, this is the type of thing I would put on a reward chart. So this is where I would say to him, okay, if you can get out of your bed quietly and come into mummy, then we'll put a stamp on the reward chart. And then you you need like three or five or seven days in a row of him doing it before he gets a treat. Now the treat to me shouldn't be food. The treat should be maybe time with you or just going to the park on your own or something like that. Um, but I think this is something that might be effectively by using that star chart or reward chart and making that work for you because it's probably just a pattern behaviour. So once he stops doing it, he'll just get off his bed and come into you quietly. So I'd give that a go and see if you, if you can get him to understand it that way. Okay, we've got time for one last question. This one comes from Donna. She says, my daughter is almost four and refuses to use the toilet. She wears undies and never has accidents. But when she needs to go to the toilet, she asks for a nappy. We take her into the bathroom, put the nappy on, and then she uses it as a toilet. We've tried rewards, charts, cajoling, potties, etc. But she is adamant. 
I've tried just not letting her have access to the nappies, but she holds on all day, becoming more frantic until we give in, or she just goes in the night in her night nappy. I've successfully toilet trained two other kids and never had issues like these. Do you have any tips for me? This sounds like attention-seeking. So maybe because there are two other kids and she's the last, this is her way of taking control. So funny, I uh, was speaking to a client the other day with exactly the same problem with a child that was just under four and it was attention seeking so one all we did was and what I would do is I put beside this little girl's bed 10 nappies and I said to her when those 10 nappies are gone then we're not using nappies anymore and we will help you go to the toilet you just ask and so we did that and she could see the nappies disappearing but we took the nappies away both day and night because she was that age. And, and we did hold our breath a little bit because we did wonder. But it actually worked. So once that last one went, she knew that had gone. We kept saying, we'll help you. And what we did over the next few days, we, we just did gentle reminders. So we did things like we put the potty in the bathroom. We didn't leave it out. And about every two and a half to three hours, we just said, would you like to come in and sit with me and we'll just try for a wee? So there was no pressure. There was no, you have to do it. It was just a reminder. We're going out in the car. Would you like to try for a wee? And, and within a day or two, she was totally done. So I suspect this is a similar thing. It's a, an attention seeking one. And the fact that you've done it, it sort of becomes a behavior from there. So I think it's time to sit down outside of toileting, outside of the moment of toileting and say, okay, this is how many, whatever number of nappies you could want to put there. After that, there are no more nappies. We are not buying any more nappies and make it clear and follow through. And I think give yourself a day or two with those gentle reminders to see if she can cope with it. Because it, it, it definitely sounds like, behavior than than anything than any other problem that might be going on well Well, chris Chris, thank thank you so much for your time time today today. that's That's all all we have have, uh, for this episode of helpline yeah no problem so if you missed out on asking your question don't forget about babyology sleep school you can check out the links in this episode and click through to there and then you can book in one-on-one with chris if you would like or our other experts who are also on that page And if you'd rather wait and ask a question for next week, you can either join us live on Facebook on Mondays at 11.30am Eastern Standard Time. We will hopefully have our technology sorted out by then. Or you can send your question to helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. Thank you for all your questions. See you next time. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.